Come on, welcome Connect Community Church. Thank you guys so much for coming to Second Service. Awesome, it's good to see everybody. Uh, hey, just for, just for my own sake, can you guys just go ahead and say, hi, Devin? Hi. Say, today I'm going to be on my best behavior. A lot of you guys didn't respond to that. Are you guys not going to be, or what's, what's the status here? Uh, hey, my name is Devin, uh, Devin Fry. I am a part of the dream team here and a part of the teaching team, and uh, we have a special Sunday for you. We are in a series called You Asked For It. Everybody just say, You Asked For It. And what we want to do is we don't want to be a church that doesn't answer questions that you're not asking. We don't want to be a culprit of that. We want to answer questions from a biblical perspective on uh, some of the questions that you have just, you need answers to. And so we're in a two-part series, or in a four-part series, I believe. And uh, today we're going to have four different communicators all tackling about 10 minutes worth of a subject. And so I'm a little bit stressed right now. And so my subject is talking about stress, people, okay? Uh, uh, so I'm going to get into that. Before I get into that, I have a couple quick announcements. One is you guys are the most incredible, amazing church ever. Uh, we have such a generous church. We raised, hold up, hold up, we raised $11,500 for the Pakistan Bibles. And that's going to translate into about 2,000 Bibles, y'all. Come on, give it up for yourselves. That's changing a whole lot of lives, and so you should be very proud of yourselves. We have the most incredible church. Who loves their church? Man, I love my church. I'm so proud to be a part of this community. And then also, I want to welcome our online audience. Can we welcome all those that are watching online, on YouTube, on our podcast? Thank you guys so much for watching. I'll say this last quick announcement is we have kind of a special announcement we're going to be uh, proclaiming a little bit later on Facebook, on Facebook Live. So make sure you tune in around 2, 3 o'clock today uh, because Pastor Chris and Pastor Derek are going to be mentioning something that's pretty cool and pretty exciting. So make sure you tune in. So I'm going to go right into it because I have 11 minutes and 15 seconds and I'm already stressed about it. Uh, Just by a show of hands, I need some volunteers. Uh, Who in here has ever struggled with negative thoughts, dealing with some problems, or who wants to know how to handle stress, basically, is what I'm asking. Uh, Who in here has had stress in their life? Okay, so I'm talking to the right people. Awesome. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're a guest here or you're new here, understand that we have a big electronic Bible. There's a big TV that I'll throw it up on. But I would love for you to encourage you in in writing down some notes and jotting down some stuff. So this is what it says. Matthew chapter 6, how to handle stress. It says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Even though we all want to look good, holler at me somebody. (laughs) Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. See, they they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What does it say? It says, are you not much more valuable than they are? See, God cares so much more about you than he does about the birds. Certainly more than cats, let me tell you about that somebody. But God cares so much more about you. Than, than, than animals, and can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What, what, what value does it bring when you worry or you stress about some stuff? How many know that only when, when you worry about some stuff, it's kind of like a mosquito bite where, where you might have a little bit of a problem. It might be a minor problem, but the more you itch it, the more you scratch it, the more you complain about it, it can possibly become an infection. That's what can happen when you start complaining about your stress, but how do we deal with stress? So it goes on. It says this, so why worry about your clothes? See, The flowers of the fields grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, his beauty, his wisdom, was dressed like one of these. It goes on to say, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So this is what he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, 
or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Another translation, the message paraphrase, it says it like this. It says, people who don't know God in the way he works fuss over these things. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that powerful? So the people that don't have relationship with God don't know how he works. Can I tell you something about some of the problems you guys are facing? God can redeem that problem. You guys didn't shout amen good enough. God can redeem that problem. Listen, I'm a Pentecostal, so you guys can like start saying amen or something like that. God can redeem that problem. Our God works in mysterious, supernatural, marvelous ways, and he can use any problem and redeem it or even make you stronger. Come on, somebody. He can even make you a little bit stronger. You guys sound like a Pentecostal church. I'm loving it. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. But this is a challenge. But seek first his kingdom. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, if you put God's agenda first, loving God, loving people, building his kingdom, building the church, he will put your agenda first. Isn't that, isn't that powerful, somebody? He will put your agenda first. And then it goes on. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Most stressful situation in my entire life. Literally thought I was going to die. I went down in uh, Louisiana. I was chilling with uh, some of my best friends, and my buddy was getting married. I was the best man there. Had a blast in Louisiana. It was some good times. Uh, we ate some kind of weird food. I don't know if you've ever heard of crawfish before, but I'm not going to eat like a live freaking lobster that's a little small guy. I, I just thought it was a little bit weird. And so I, I didn't enjoy uh, eating the food down there. However, I was so excited to get back home, and I just wanted some American food. I just wanted to go to Chili's really bad when I got back home. I don't know what it was, but that was what I was, just my heart's desire was. However, I'm down there, had a blast, uh, went going back home, and we get on this airplane, and uh, the, it just so happened to be that Louisiana doesn't have a manufacturer for big airplanes, so they have these little small ones. I believe they call them puddle jumpers. Is that right, Mom? Puddle jumpers, these little small things. So I'm walking down the carousel. Don't really pay attention to the size of this airplane. But one thing you need to know about a small airplane is that when you go into a small airplane and you experience turbulence, it feels a whole lot worse, people. Now, I believe something. If you want to become a man or a woman of God, you don't need to go to Bible college for five, six, seven, eight years. You need to experience turbulence, people. Because I promise you, you will get close and see the face of Jesus. I am kidding. I am not kidding you. I literally was holding my neighbor's hand, interlocking fingers, and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, this is not how I go. I have to get married. I have to have kids and everything in between, if you know what I'm talking about, people. I thought to myself, like, yo, this is not how I'm going to go. And literally, scriptures come out of me. I became a Bible college student immediately, right there in the air. I'm kidding. Like, like, for me personally, it was the most stressful situation because literally I thought I was going to die. I know I'm trying to be humorous and funny right now, but I'm telling you, if you've ever experienced turbulence like that, you will think you were going to die too. So I, I come to this conclusion. And I ask this question like, how do I handle situations like that? How do I handle stresses like that? Because a lot of us are facing problems where we either think, one, maybe it's not the extreme of I'm going to die, but you're thinking to myself, how am I going to supply my needs? I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for a wife or a husband. I'm looking for some of these things. I'm facing some stress. And so I think it's so powerful what was said in Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to write this down. I want you to write this confession down. Before I get to that confession, I want you to know something. In life, Jesus promises this. He says, in life, you will have troubles, meaning there will be problems coming your way. Devin, can you be a little bit more encouraging? I'm just telling you, our God is gracious, so he gives us ahead of time notice to know that we can brace for some problems. This is the graciousness of our God. So in the midst of problems, in the midst of chaos, how do I have peace? Because what I've found and come to the conclusion of is peace is not a result of not having problems. Peace is a state of mind. 
Peace is a posture. And so what the Greek uh, terminology is, is this word irene. Irene, meaning peace. It's an internal knowing that I'm going to have some well-being. And so I just want to encourage you again today. If you're facing some stress, you're facing some problems, understand something that God can redeem it, and you can still have peace in the midst of chaos. You just have to have this posture, which leads me to the confession. I want you to write it down, and then I want you to repeat it. I want you to write this down. Ready? God knows my needs. You can say it after me. God knows my needs. And he will supply my needs. Oh, come on. Say it with some conviction. God knows my needs. And he will supply my needs. One more time. Say it with more passion, more conviction. God knows my needs. And he will supply my needs. So we come to these two conclusions. If I don't have what I need right now, one of two things. One, I'm not ready for it. Talk to me, somebody. I'm not ready for it. Oh, I need a man right now. I'm just so single and lonely. Well, God knows he's not going to send you a man because you'll probably self-sabotage yourself knowing that you'll find identity in a relationship and not in Jesus Christ himself. Or I need this job. I need more accolades. I need more money. And he knows your identity will probably be locked in how much you do or what you do or how much you make and not found in him. So why would he give you something if you're going to destroy yourself? So it's either saying we come to this conclusion that if I don't have what I need, I don't need it. Or I'm not ready for it. And maybe you don't need some of the things that you actually think you need because I think human nature oftentimes, we can't decipher between what we want and what we need. I'll tell you something. One thing we need, we needed forgiveness of sin. And our God gave us forgiveness of sin. One thing we need, we needed the Lord and Savior. We needed somebody that could teach us, lead us, and develop us in our lives. And we got that in our Lord and Savior. You need somebody for your soul. You need a captain of your soul. Sometimes we get so occupied in what we want, we forget what we need. God will give you what you need. Now, understand something. He will help you in your day-to-day. There is no menial task. There is no small thing that, that, is, that is over the top of our God. Our God is the Lord of the harvest. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He does not have a lack of resources. He can supernaturally plant something in your life so that you can receive that. But understand something. These two conclusions, either if I don't have what I need, I don't need it, or I'm not ready for it. So it comes to this conclusion. I'm I'm not trying to teach you something. I'm trying to work this out myself because yesterday we were confronted with some stresses and some problems. And I just came to this conclusion. I had to say audibly what I hear silently because how many of us have some silent voices in our heads? And we hear some negative thoughts sometimes. Talk to me, people. And so I hear some silent voices in my head, and I have to confront audibly what I hear silently. So I say, God, I know you know what I need, and I know you will supply what I need when I need it. And something about our God, he is never late. He is always on time, but it's us that has a patience problem. So he's never late. He's always on time. God knows what I need, and he will supply what I need. So it comes, we come to this challenge, though. Because scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says this, seek first his kingdom, and then, somebody say then, all these things will be added unto you. If you put God first, he will put you first. In your agenda, in your problems, in your business, in your families, he will put you first if you put him first. So here's what I want you to write down. Fix my focus. That's what I have to do. God knows my needs. He will supply my needs. The only thing I got to do, fix my focus. Fix my focus because what I find is a lot of times we go through stresses and we have hardships and trials simply because we are so focused on all the stuff around us, we forget about our Heavenly Father that works in mysterious, marvelous, wonderful ways. And it's harder said than done, people. 
I know it's easy to come up here and just give you a little encouragement like that, but yesterday Natalia and I were confronted with that. We have a four-month-old child on the way. We're so excited about it. We get to find out what we're having at the end of the month. But how many know developing, having a child, getting prepared for a child brings some of its stresses? We're trying to find a house right now, y'all. We have some financial things we're still working through and learning how to steward our money well. And so we have some stress. We have some trials that we're going through. And I just had to be in my room yesterday, and I said, God, I'm not going to teach these people something that I don't uh, uh, personally practice myself. I will say, God, and I want you to repeat this after me, God, you know my need. Say this after me. You know my need, and you will supply my need. Come on, you know my need, and he will supply my need. Amen? You get something out of that? Yes. Amen. You guys go ahead. Give it up for Devin one more time. That was really good. Just awesome stuff. And how many know when your wife's four months pregnant, things only get harder? <laughs> uh, just kidding, Devin. You'll be fine. Um, but no, my name is Jason Gosson. I'm part of the Dream Team here, and it's... Uh, how exciting is this, right? Just rapid fire, kind of drinking from a fire hose is what Pastor Mark called it. So we're going to try to keep you guys engaged. But question two, right? I love that you guys are asking questions. Here's what I know. I've got a four, almost four-year-old daughter at home, and questions mean two things. It either means, one, we want to get better at something, right? Or two, we want to get out of something, right? You can laugh at that. That's okay. I'm not punishing anybody. So my daughter will ask questions because she wants to get better at something. She wants to know the expectation. What's the target, dad? How can I please you? How can I make you happy? How can I succeed? Or she'll ask a question where she's like, do I really have to do this? Or how long can I push it until you give up on what you're asking me to do? So the question I'm going to talk to you guys about today, and we'll kind of hopefully find out where you guys are at. I screwed up the TV. Sorry. I knew it. (laughs) How to love seemingly unlovable people. How to love seemingly unlovable people. I'm not sure why they selected me to answer this question. I'm not sure if it's because I'm seemingly unlovable or because I figured out how to love those people. I'm not, I, can you answer that before I continue at this point? No, I'm just kidding. Email me, yeah. <laughs> but how to love seemingly unlovable people. The answer is you don't have to. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not... Why does my time say zero now at this point? (laughs) That didn't go over how I planned it. Um, But the human nature, right, when someone's challenging to love, what we do is a lot different than what I believe God's intended. It's hard to love people in situations that are uncomfortable for us or we don't understand. And when those people are challenging us, we're prone to do something very different than what God intends in the context of relationships. All right, so let me jump into a kind of a key scripture that I want to talk to you guys about today. It's a scripture that is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I've talked about it when I've been up on the platform before. I've used it countless times, but let me read it to you. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us. The first part of this scripture speaks to me so vividly because it means God had a design for you. You're not thrown together. Everybody see the movie Twins? I'm dating myself, right? But Arnold Schwarzenegger was this specimen. And Danny DeVito's character is opposite that. And he has a line in the movie that says, you mean I'm just the leftover crap? None of us in this room are the leftover crap. All of us in this room are the specimen that God designed on purpose with a purpose. And this scripture talks about it. 
long before we first even heard of who Jesus was, when we were just kind of living for ourselves, doing our own thing, doing what we felt comfortable, not loving unlovable people. God had a design for us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone else. Say part. Everyone say part. The design is on your life and has been on your life before you ever heard of God or who Jesus was, was to play a part in the life of someone else. It doesn't say working out in everything and everyone that's just like you. It doesn't say playing a part in the lives of those that agree with everything you say. It doesn't say playing a part in the lives of everyone who lives the way you think they should live. It doesn't say love those people that don't present challenges. It says everything and everyone else. But what's the challenge, right? Oftentimes we read scripture and think, oh, isn't that a nice idea? And then we realize we're living in a reality that is very, very different. And if you're like me, when you get into positions where the someone is unlovable, the last thing you want to do is play a part in anything going on. Am I going to validate it? Am I going to make this easy? What, you overthink it, and you tend to distance yourself from what's going on. Right? Here's the big idea. Difficult people are more often than not going through something difficult that requires you and I not to default to distancing ourselves from them. Difficult people are more often than not going through something difficult that requires us to not default to distancing ourselves from them. You ever go to a grocery store and see someone, you love that person, but you don't want to make eye contact. You think, it's just they're going to want to talk politics and I don't have it in me right now. Or they're, going to want to, they're going to find a way to talk about themselves again and I just don't have the grace. Or I really don't want to hear about their daughter or their son anymore because it's just, I don't have the time, it's just too challenging. Or gosh, they're going to want it. They're going to challenge me. I just, I don't want to do it. So you see them at the grocery store. You put your head down. You go down an aisle. You don't need anything in it. And you just hope you can get out of there before you have to talk to them. Not because you don't love them, but because in that moment, it's hard. They're challenging. They're difficult. They're seemingly unlovable. Right? How many ever, anybody encounter someone like that? Or is that just me that judges people in the grocery store, right? That's just comforting, right? Know somebody that's challenging. Raise your hand. Right? If you're not raising your hand, you might be the challenging one that people are referencing when their hand goes up. <laughs> but it's true, right? We're all challenged by people. And here's the thing. How do we love challenging or difficult people? What I love is the question because I'm hoping that most of us in here that have asked that question are trying to get better at it. I'm trying to get better at it, not trying to get out of it. Right? I believe that you're trying to get better at loving unlovable people. Right? So there's your big idea. Scripture. God has designs, has us playing a part in everyone's life. Here's the reality. We distance ourselves from those people. We fall in that trap. So what next? The reason you and I have a hard time loving unlovable people is not because of them, but it's because you and I have started to overestimate how easy it is for others to love us. If you and I are ever going to get good and get better or improve at loving people we think are unlovable, we first have to realize that there are people in the grocery store that avoid eye contact with us. And if we can't admit that, we'll never get better at what we're trying to get better at, and maybe we're trying to get out of it. But if I go back, if I can figure out this fancy television and go back, God had designs on us to play a part in everything and everyone else. Therefore, we have to understand he's asking the same thing of other people, and therefore, maybe other people are challenged when it comes to loving us. And that's hard to admit. 
Because again, human nature, we default to distancing ourselves from other people. But let me tell you, the reality we see does not trump the scripture we read. Right? This is not an idea. This is not just kind of a, wouldn't this be nice? The gap that you and I experience between scripture and the reality we experience isn't because this isn't true. Because we're overestimating how easy it is for other people to love us. Right? We're doing, we, we do that all the time. I know my wife's on the front row. I know I'm challenging for her to love. But I find myself often getting lost in how challenging it is to love her. But the minute I realize she's faced with the same challenges, it's so much easier for us to connect. But I find when her and I are off, it's because I'm overestimating how easy it is to be married to me. It's the same thing with my kids. Why won't you listen, Willow? And just in case you guys don't know it, adults are just toddlers that are taller. It's really, it's all we are. Willow, why won't you just do what I ask? Why won't you just fall in line? Jeremiah, stop whining. My kids are going to be challenged to love me down the road. But if you and I are ever going to get better at falling in line with the designs that you and that God has intended for us, we've got to admit that maybe we're challenging too. Here's your next step. God has us playing a part in someone else's story. But all too often, we, we, get, we see a sentence in someone else's story. Maybe it's a past sentence. Maybe it's one they're writing right now. And we stop reading. But let me tell you, every relationship you're in right now, every relationship you're challenged by, God has a design for it. You might not be the last sentence. You might not be the first sentence. But you're a sentence in the story of someone else's life. You and I cannot let a sentence that's difficult to read stop us from playing our part in someone else's story. I would submit to you that God has placed a pen or a pencil in your hand. And if you default to distance, you will never play your part in someone else's story. We have got to allow God to help us play our part in someone else's story. And the longer you and I are lost in overestimating how easy it is to love ourselves, we will never step towards someone else and love them during their difficulty. A difficult person is going through a difficulty, guys. In the second you and I can acknowledge that we're not easy to love, we will take the pencil that God's put in our hand and write the next sentence and not let that person get stuck on a sentence we don't like, because I guarantee you they don't like it either. Did you guys get something out of that? Okay. Question three coming up. Great job. So this is a different format, eh? So I got the task of, in 10 minutes, marriage, divorce, remarriage, and infidelity. How's that? So I've got, there are two solutions to it. One, I'm going to talk really fast, and I'm not joking. So if English is not your first language, please accept my apologies. Listen carefully, because I can talk very fast. Here's the second thing is, if marriage is the foundation, right? Very funny. <laughs> if marriage is the foundation... We're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about the foundation, not about the gutter leaking and the roof coming off. Get my point? So we're going to talk, the bulk of our time is going to be about marriage, okay? And I want to start with two propositions. And if we can't agree on these two propositions, then we ain't going to get anywhere today. Here they are. The first is, oh, let's see if the touchscreen is working. Dynamite. First please, I believe that you desire to have a great marriage. Now, if you're not, 
If you're married, this is applicable to you. If you're not married yet, this is applicable to you. If you're divorced, this is applicable to you looking forward. I believe that you desire to have a great marriage. You don't want uh, mediocre, boring, uh, lack of companionship. You want fun, passion, love, companionship, togetherness. Isn't that what marriage is supposed to be about? We want goodness out of it, don't we? If you don't want a great marriage, you will get it. If you don't want a great marriage, you will get it. If you want to aim low, you will hit your target. But that's not what we want. That's not what God wants for us, is it? He wants us to aim high. Here's the second piece, and that is that God desires that all marriages would be great. This is a universal truth, not just for Christian believers, for all people, all 7 billion people on the planet right now, or those who are adults, God desires for them to have a great and meaningful marriage. Let's take, a look, take, let's take a look at a couple of verses from Genesis. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Yet, yet in the midst of that, we understand that men and women are different. Men and women need different things. Men need respect and women need love. Take a look at this verse right here. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Those are two critical ways of thinking that sit in this verse. I was on an airplane, and I got talking to a Muslim couple next to me, Malik and Morgan, and they were having marital problems. One had an affair, one had had the revenge affair. That's helpful, huh? So, but they were going off on a vacation trying to patch things up. And I said to them, after we talked for a while, I said, you know, I'll tell you what you guys need. Morgan, you want to feel that regardless of anything else, Malik loves you. And Malik, you want to feel like Morgan respects you. And their eyes bugged out like this at me. And they said, how did you know? And I said, it's simple. It says it in the Bible. I said, and Morgan, if Malik feels like, no, it's true. It's like, and they paid attention. And I said, Malik, um, Morgan, if Malik believes that you love him, he will climb mountains for you. And you know what he did? He said, yeah, I will. Like deer in the headlights. Like, yeah, I will. Because, he, because what? It's a universal truth. It's what God has for all people. Okay? Now, now we can read those verses and we can say, oh, yeah, yeah. As long as, as, long as she does that, it'll be good. Or as long as he does that, it'll be good. No, no, no. This is about us as a role in a relationship, right? It's not about the other, your spouse, will make your relationship great. No, it's about you and your spouse making your relationship great. It's a two-way street, okay? Um, but here's what gets in the way for people. It's the issue of selfishness. Okay, let me skip past that one. Issue of selfishness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Selfishness is the biggest problem in marriages. Listen, as long as you do this, things will be fine. Do this for me and I'll be happy. No, no, that's not what it is at all. And actually, it is selflessness that's going to help us. But let me show you first the product of selfishness. Ready for this? For where you, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. It's right there. If we approach our marriages in a selfish way, we will have disorder. But look at this. Look at the flip side. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. 
It's not to stay home so his wife can do good things for him. It's so that he can bring happiness to his spouse. Remember, when we started this, we established two principles, that I believe that you desire to have a great marriage and that God desires to have a great message, a great marriage for you. And so here's our big idea. Great marriages don't just happen. They take hard work and sacrifice. Now, you might be saying, yeah, yeah, I work hard and sacrifice, but my spouse is not. Keep working hard and sacrifice. Model, lead by your behavior. I get it. Relationships are hard and marriages are hard, but we know that marriages can be great and it's what we desire, it's what God desires. So we work hard and we sacrifice. And of course, we pray and we pray and we pray that God would would grow up in us the ability to do these things and in our spouse as well. Does that make sense? Julie and I have been married for 29 years. We've got a great marriage. But you know what? Like every married couple, we argue sometimes. We have a pastor friend who calls that intense fellowship. (laughs) Sometimes Julie and I have some intense fellowship because it just happens, right? But it's okay. The question is, are we going to look at the issue that we're arguing about selfishly or selflessly? How are we going to seek to move ourselves through the intense fellowship, right? So take, take, take a look at this. I'll consider this for a minute. Sometimes we can say, yeah, 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 yeah. I get all this hard work and uh, the, the, the importance of hard work and sacrifice, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel like I'm in love with him anymore. I just don't feel like trying to do this. Feelings are not the beacon of truth in our lives. There's tons of stuff in your lives that you don't feel like doing, and me too. You probably didn't feel like getting up this morning. You don't feel like going to work tomorrow. You don't feel like washing the dishes. You don't feel like walking the dog. But you do them, don't you? Why? Because you know that life will come off the rails if you don't. It's the same thing in marriage. If you don't feel like doing this, well, don't, and life is going to come off the rails. We have to make this conscious decision that we do not follow our feelings as though feelings are truth. Look at this verse out of Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who could understand it? If you trust your heart to be the source of truth, you'll fail, right? In 50 different things in life, you will. God's word is a source of truth for us. So we have to chase after his word and implement his word. Because remember, God desires to give great things into our lives. He desires our lives to be the best life possible. He wants our lives to be better than we want our lives to be. And that fulfillment is going to come from following him and following what he says to do because that's how he can wash his goodness and his blessings most productively into our lives. Does that make sense? So I want to just close, close with this one piece about marriage. Five tips for you towards a great marriage, okay? Be selfless. We've talked about this. Be selfless. Secondly, encourage and help your spouse to use their gifts and talents. Honey, you know what I look at? When I look at you, I see you're really good with this. Keep doing that. Or, you know what, every time you talk to somebody, I see them light up. Wow. There's, you want to build up a person? See their gifts in them and tell them, keep using those gifts, okay? Here's the next one. Encourage and help your spouse to achieve their goals. Honey, what is it you'd really like to do? Because I want to help you do it. That's going to be selfless. It's not going to help you do it. Pursue your goals. Men, love your wife. I could preach on this for a whole hour. 500 ways to love your wife. And here's the flip side. 
I can give you a list of 500 things that you're not doing to show that you love your wife. And, right? And so, what does this mean for your spouse? Well, work it out. Try. Find out your spouse's love language. And then, lastly, ladies, respect your husband. We're shallow, ladies. Tell us that we're important and we'll do whatever you want us to. Okay? It's just the way we are. But here's the thing. Ladies, if you don't tell us we're important, then, then we have trouble loving you. It's, like, it's just and it, it's a circular thing for both, for both members, right? It just works out. It's unfortunate, but this is the way it works. So here's the thing. In my last 28 seconds, I have to talk about divorce, remarriage, and infidelity. But you understand, if we don't have this foundation right, we tumble into it. Listen, God's really clear that he hates divorce. I understand that also that biblically, God gives permission for divorce in uh, uh, adultery, abuse, and abandonment. He doesn't say, yes, go do that, but he gives permission to do it because we are sinful creatures, right? God's grace is so important to us. When we look at the church, if you're divorced, I would love to have you as my friend, okay? I don't care that you're divorced. That's not, a, that's not a roadblock between me and you, okay? It's just a reality of where you ended up, and I'm sorry that you got there. The question is, how can we as a church help you to move forward to fulfill the goodness and purposes God has for your life, right? We're not going to beat you up because you're divorced. But, but also, what you understand, you probably had a part in getting there, and if you end up heading towards remarriage, and I might well be happy to marry you again, but if 50% of first marriages end up in divorce, two-thirds of second, and three-quarters of third marriages end up in divorce, the foundation has got to be there. If we failed once, we're going to bring those same failures into the next round. Is that Mike being clear about this? So let me say one more thing about this, and that is, I wish that everybody in this whole church would have an awesome marriage. It's hard work and sacrifice to get ourselves there. If you want help in getting your marriage to that point, give me a call in the office because we've got resources. We can help you out. Personal Couples to do counseling, individual counseling, ideas. And it is work. It's not an overnight thing, but it is work. And there's nothing more important in the church and in people's lives after pursuing Christ than having a great marriage, okay? And so we want to equip you and help you and your background. We don't care what your background is. Come on in here. Worship with us. Grow in your faith. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. That's what we do here, right? That makes sense? So let me just pray 10 seconds for your marriages. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. And Lord, I pray for marriages here, current and future marriages. Lord, I pray that you would bless them abundantly. Help us to, to be great spouses because that's what marriages require. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. There's one more to come. All right. Morning, church. You guys enjoying this? I just want to give it up for all our speakers. Can we just give it up for Pastor Devin, Jason, and Pastor Mark? What an incredible job. What an awesome, awesome time we're having, too, back there, trying to get um, as much over as we can. And so I've been given the task of, of, of something that I really enjoy speaking to, which is purpose. Say purpose. purpose. Now say there is power, power. to purpose. There is. And so real, real quickly, um, when we speak on the topic of finding my purpose, it, it's, it's obviously important to have a biblical foundation and also some examples. So I'll do that. And at the end, we're going to have a strong conclusion. Um, if you could, in your worship guides, 
read along. And so in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 21, and if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Chris, your future campus pastor. Can I get an amen? Stay tuned on Facebook, by the way. It's going to be good. Hopefully it stops raining. <laughs> um, so it says, you can make many plans, because we can plan, yes or no? Yeah, we can plan, but is what you're planning what God had in mind is, is what I want to question here this morning. And so the Bible says you can make many plans, uh, but the Lord's purpose will, will prevail. And, and w- the, the main idea, what I want to extract from this is, is in your worship guide. So write this, write this in real quick. Uh, what I want you to understand is that, come on, come on in the name of Jesus. Well, this is what it means. Um, every plan... There we go. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, just spirit fingers. The spirit fingers. The big idea is every plan should begin and end with God in mind. Write that down real quick. Write that down. Write that down. It's important because then you're including God in what you're doing. Now, you can do a lot of things. Uh, if, if you don't include God, I believe it'll have an expiration date. I believe it'll eventually become irrelevant. But if you do things and you include God in your decisions and and you include God in your planning, then everything you touch will have eternal impact beyond your life and also into generations. And so with this in mind, I want to talk real quickly that there is a power to purpose and and, and that because we plan, uh, sometimes we're successful, yes? Yeah, and so I want to separate the two just so I can get into your minds. And, and, and I'm not going to tell you what to believe, but, but I will tell you what beliefs are limiting you right now. And so there's a difference between success and fulfillment. Say success, fulfillment. Because you can have success because we're organizing and we have recourse and we have finances. But let me tell you, you, you can have a lot of money, but what you, what you really want isn't money. You, you think you need more finances. You think you want more money, but really you, you, you want how money makes you feel. So ultimately, the story of humans is a pursuit on, on highest states of emotion. And let me tell you something. If you have success upon success and it's not within God, purpose it'll only create a bigger void and a bigger void and a bigger void because you can be successful and not be fulfilled you can do a lot of great things you can build a huge tower tower babel and it may not please god so we have to ask ourselves is what we're building what god called us to do because i think that the worst isn't dying the worst is living a life with no purpose in god so what's your purpose that's the person next to you why are you here Not at church, but like in life. (laughs) Why are you here? There's power to purpose. And I'm going to attempt to explain and suggest to you that God creates atmospheres. He creates a need that allows us to have meaning. And in that meaning, we find our purpose. And if you believe in purpose, you must understand that there is a purpose giver. You don't create your own purpose. You receive your purpose from the purpose giver. Can I get an amen? You you can try to bring meaning to what you're doing. But eventually, you'll see that it's a, a futile attempt because only creator can give purpose to creation. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so let's go into this real quick. If, if you remember in, in Genesis chapter 1, um, when God was putting things into existence with the power of his word, he establishes the cosmos and he puts order into things and he gives certain commands. The Bible says that the spirit of God hovered upon the face of the deep and you know the scripture and I'm going to summarize here. What happens here is, is God starts speaking order into certain things and as he calls things into existence, he, he gives a command for it to produce and sustain itself. And so uh, it, when, when he calls uh, upon land, he, he tells land to, to produce seeds and one after its kind. And when we look at land, we, we, we see the different things that, that it's capable of capable of producing the different types of seeds and, and the different types of flowers and trees. And if you look all throughout the world, you will see different types of, of vegetation. But one thing that it needed was, was that atmosphere that, that God called land. We, we call it dirt or, or earth for, for it to survive, for it to grow. Because we, we have beautiful trees, and, and, and if you go to California, you'll, you'll find redwood trees or, or you'll find oak trees, which is, you know, they, it's comprised with some of, some of the best wood, they, they say, or mahogany, and you can go on and on. But, but if you take away the dirt and, and if you start chipping away at, at what it's, it's planted on it and you remove land, uh, what will happen to that tree? It, it dies. It, it'll fall over. It, it'll lose its meaning. And, and it'll be nothing but, 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 but good for, for maybe burning up or, or creating heat. And so, so even, even on land, we, we see that if, if you take away the, the earth, it, 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 it removes also, also the meaning. And, and when God called into existence the, the fishes and sea life, one after its kind, we, we see beautiful species and different color fishes. And, and we see coral reefs. And we see a huge whales, the intelligence is the intelligence of a dolphin and the size of the blue whales. And we think it, it, it's beautiful and it's magnificent. And, and, and we'll watch penguins and we'll go to the aquarium and, and we think, wow, this is this is amazing. But 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 if you take if you take a fish, if you take the blue whale and you remove it from from the ocean and, and you throw it on land, what happens to that fish? It dies and, and it loses its meaning and its ability to thrive. And, and it's the same with, with the birds of the air. We, we love to, some people love bird watching, God help you. And, and I don't have the patience for that. <laughs> I'll come in like a bear and make a whole bunch of noise and fly away. But, it, but it's beautiful to see, like the blue jay, and, 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 and that's all I know for birds, and, <laughs> and, and, and the bald eagle, and the golden eagle, and, and it's beautiful, right, when they spread their, their wings, and, and they fly in the sky. But, it, but if you take this, the air, and if you remove the sky uh, out of, of their atmosphere, what happens to the purpose and, and to the meaning of, of those birds? Of what happens to them? They, they lose their meaning. And when you read the scripture, uh, if you turn one page into Genesis chapter 2, now God has, has established a pattern for us to follow in, into how he creates things. And he creates man, human. Man, spirit, human body. 
and, and he uses his, his hands. And he doesn't speak it into existence. He, he said, let us make man in our own image. And, and his fingerprints, they, they attach onto our body. And, and, and that speaks of possession. And, and then he breathes essence from heaven into us. And life comes to human. And we understand here that heaven is not only our destination, but it is also our origin. And then he creates this garden. It's called the, the Garden of, of Eden. And in Eden really means, means a place of, of pleasure. And, and man and, and, and woman, uh, you know, God created man and then he didn't get it right. So he made woman right after that for a better version. It was an update. Uh, <laughs> Apple, right? And so he, he gets it right the second time. I hope my wife was here for this. And, and he, he then uh, visits man every day at the rolling of the sun. And Eden becomes a place where, where the presence of God visits every day. And if you learned anything about the pattern of, of the creator, is that he always creates an atmosphere that gives us meaning. And so if everything that I said makes sense, this also has to be true. That for us to have purpose and meaning, then the one place we need to live in is in the presence of God. That's where we find our meaning. That's where we find our purpose. If you could stand with me this morning. There is power to purpose. There is power to purpose. And I'm here to question you. And I'm here to challenge you. Do you really know what you're called to do? Because I promise you that once you understand, not what you're planning, but what God had planned originally for you. The Bible says that his plans are better than our plans. He's seen your future. He knows what's best for you. If you, if you walk into God's purpose, into God's plan, you will have a sense of completeness that goes above the satisfactional emotion of achievement. Fulfillment can only come from a God-given purpose. Now, I don't know what you do or where you come from or what's going on through your head right now, but maybe you're here for the first time and you're having this thought and you're thinking, well, why am I here? That's, that's a good question. Well, my parents told me that I was an accident. Hey, the Bible says that God works, works everything all together for the, for, all together for the, for the will of, of God. All you have to do is trust. Even though you, you might think that you were an accident, God took that into account, and he's turning it around for your good. Yes. He knew. The Bible says that God knew you before you were conceived. He called you by name. He, he elected you before you were born. So, so it couldn't have been a mistake because he knew you were born. He knew your name before you were born. And so maybe you've never had that opportunity. Well, how, how do I get my God-given purpose? You, you accept the purpose giver, and that's Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the New Testament that he gave his only son to die for us, to substitute us because we couldn't measure up, to reestablish a relationship with God. And if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted God. It's, it's really easy. It's, it's just a quick prayer. John 3.16, which is a verse we like to refer to in scriptures, it's broken down into four parts. 
where it means and it explains God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive eternal life. So if you could bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes for privacy. Now I want to speak to you. Maybe you've, you've never made this prayer. Maybe you've never accepted the purpose giver. I want to tell you that once you accept Jesus, everything will make sense. This decision will change your life forever, I promise you. And if you'd like to make that decision, I just want to see you right where you are. Could you, could you raise your hand so I can identify and pray with you right now? I see you. God bless you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for these lives. Church, let's help them out this morning in this decision. All you have to do is, is repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Write my name in the book of life. Help me, and I accept you. I believe your life was just changed right now. Change happens in a moment, and you will start to see the fullness of God in you, in Jesus' name. Church, could we give God praise for those that gave their lives this morning?